Opinionated Science, the podcast from Technology Networks. I'm Rory, the informatics editor at Technology Networks. Now, today's podcast is on a topic that is huge importance for every scientist, data integrity. It's sponsored by LabVantage. Conducting scientific research without good data integrity is a bit like building a nice new house on a foundation of soft-serve ice cream. You're doomed to fail from the start. Data integrity makes sure that your research is constructed on solid, reliable ground. Whilst researchers in academia have regularly fallen foul of their own poor data handling, it's researchers and companies working in tightly regulated industries, such as pharmaceuticals, that have the most to be careful about with regards to data integrity. High-profile cases of lax data management have seen companies slapped with massive fines and they've even faced bankruptcy due to their poor data practices. But whilst regulators, such as the US FDA and the European EMA, have tightened up their practices, so have scientists and companies discovered new tools to make high data standards easier to reach. For today's podcast, I was lucky enough to speak to Bob McDowell of RD McDowell Consulting. Bob has decades of experience in helping labs and companies keep on the right side of regulators and improve their data practices. I also separately caught up with Jeff Vanist, Senior Director of Product Management at LabVantage. Jeff joined LabVantage in 2009 and has worked in the lab informatics industry since 1997. Initially, I spoke to Bob to find out what exactly data integrity is. The MHRA, uh, the UK regulator, defines data integrity as uh, data being complete, consistent and accurate throughout the data life cycle. And there the emphasis is on numbers, mm-hmm. observations. Whereas I tend to take it through this um, data integrity model. And the one thing you've got to realise is that data integrity is not new. It's been around for a number of years. It goes back to a case in 1993 with Bar Laboratories, a US company that were testing into compliance. Then they ended up suing the FDA because they didn't like the 483s and warning letters and the FDA sued them and it all ended up in the court. And Judge Wolin, who gave the judgment, didn't give the FDA everything they wanted, but most of it. And that has had ramifications even now in the industry with you, you can't reject data. You've got to go through a formal investigation. Now, this might explain the importance of data integrity to a regulator, but why should individual consumers care? Jeff gave me an explanation. So I, I'm the kind of person who feels comfortable. Um, I walk into a, a bulk warehouse. I might pick up a bottle of uh, generic ibuprofen. I throw it into my medicine cabinet at home. And I do this uh, believing that the next time I have a headache, let's say, that I'm going to take some of that ibuprofen and I, I trust that it's going to make me feel better. So that's sort of an interesting thing. If I, if I break down, what is it that I trust? What, what allows me, um, particularly working in the industry that I do, what, what gives me that trust? Well, I, I trust that it says uh, that it is what it says it is. It's ibuprofen. It's not something else. Um, It contains an active ingredient, an amount that I'd expect from a consumer dosage. I trust that some random ingredient is going to make me sick. 
Um, I, well, and I, I trust that it's going to be effective for uh, this uh, intended use. And really what I'm describing is just consumer confidence. That confidence comes as the result of product quality. And, and I, I did work in the quality realm for quite some time. Quality is this framework uh, through which safety and efficacy are assured. And, and this is important. There's no quality without complete confidence in the integrity of a product's data. So data integrity isn't a new concept, and its benefits are clear. So it's strange that breaches of data integrity still happen on a very regular basis. Jeff outlined some of these breaches to me. So when is the data integrity put at risk? We look at a couple different ways. Um, the first one is just accidental, right? Somebody makes a mistake, they misenter a value, they confuse test results, uh, an instrument can become inaccurate, uh, it can return a wrong value, it can start skewing results as it becomes out of maintenance or specification. And, and those are incidental. We know that this happens and the, the review process around data integrity helps guard against us releasing bad product because of that. But we can't forget to mention the, the intentional or the fraudulent, the, the bad actor. And we see this at various levels. Unfortunately, individuals become knowingly lazy or complacent. Maybe they're taking shortcuts from deviating from a procedure. Uh, and obviously those procedures, they're not there because they're fun. They're designed to ensure the quality of data. Maybe they're avoiding further work or they want to improve personal performance. The other one that we see is uh, maybe a department that begins faking data to avoid uh, issues with regulators. Um, maybe they've received warnings in the past and they don't want to have that escalated. And then unfortunately, we can look at entire companies that have faked data about a product. Uh, we, we did see that in the, uh, the generic drug scandal in the, the mid to late 80s, I, I think it was, where uh, they were providing uh, fraudulent bioequivalence data to the FDA. So each of these, w whether it's accidental, uh, incidental, intentional, or fraudulent, each of these reiterate the importance of this data integrity within the realm of ensuring product quality, which in turn allows a guy like me to buy his ibuprofen and just get rid of his headache. So while breaches in data integrity can damage consumer confidence, they do have an unexpected silver lining. They highlight to regulators when their practices for securing data are horribly missing the mark, as happened in one notable data integrity breach in the early 2000s, as Bob explained. If we fast forward to 2005, we come to the most inappropriately named ex-generic pharmaceutical company called Able Laboratories. Instead of testing into compliance, they falsified into compliance. And I know someone who knows someone who worked there. And the, the emphasis, and this is why I'm saying data integrity is more than numbers, is that management had an expectation that all batches would pass. And they went as far as to saying, if it didn't pass, you could lose your job. That bad. So 
the FDA came in and they went through seven pre-approval inspections, no issues, because they focused on the paper. It was a whistleblower that phoned up the local field office. They get four inspectors in for two months. And at the start of May 2005, the company was worth $100 million. And by end of uh, September, it's bankrupt. So the agency actually went back and started thinking, hang on a sec, we've really lost the plot here because they didn't focus on electronic records in the chromatography data system. They focused on paper printouts and the paper printouts were all fake. Since the Able Lab scandal, regulators have grabbed the bad data bull by the horns. Whilst there are different approaches to nudging labs in the right direction, the European EMA changes its rules while the American FDA hasn't really updated its rules at all since the mid-1970s and instead offers guidance and interpretation documents, the effect has been the same. Labs are now acutely aware that they have to make sure their data, both analogue and digital, is up to standard. As labs handle more and more data, utilising digital lab systems, such as laboratory information management systems or LIMS, has become an immensely useful tool for managing data integrity. But will automation and digitization using a LIM system, for example, always improve data integrity? Bob gave his opinion. Yes, it should. The key thing here is to try and organize and eliminate paper. The big, the big issue is if most people try and automate the status quo, they should take what is the basic process within the computer system they've bought. Is it more effective than what I do at the moment? Some people just automate what they do at the moment with a new system, which is stupid. You don't get any business benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they should, it's elimination of spreadsheets, it's elimination of paper and working electronically. One important way in which automated systems can improve data integrity, Jeff tells me, is it makes it easier for researchers to manage contextual data or metadata. If I'm working on a paper worksheet, the only contextual data that's immediately available is whatever is either printed on it or whatever I wrote down. The LIM system is entirely contextual, so meaning it has this huge volume of metadata that backs up that entered activity. So you enter a result, it may have a specific value in unit, but it's also related to the specific text, uh, test execution or a sample that's taken from a specific location with a container or details about the instrument, its maintenance, its certification records, the product it relates to, the study. All of these things are related within that computer system and that becomes relational metadata. So as CROs, CMOs move toward informatic systems, this is something that they can rely on and that they need to keep a close eye on for the system that they're moving toward. But what Jeff and Bob separately tell me is that whilst automation will generally improve your data's integrity, you have to be smart about how you go about implementing those automation solutions. Now, Bob outlines here a couple of steps that labs can take towards intelligent automation. I think what they have to do is, and this requires management leadership, okay, they've got to look at their processes. They, They really need to map their processes. You may think, oh, the computer system validated. 
but if the records are stored in directories in the operating system, basically their answer is hanging out the window because you can go around the back, delete the records, and no one knows about it. Mm. So first thing to do is, is look at the processes and look at how the data are generated, how they're transformed. And once you've got that basic process laid out, then it's a question of seeing what vulnerability is there. Now, for example, if someone produces a, an Excel spreadsheet and they load it onto a USB stick and port it from a standalone system onto a network, what's the, um, what's the risk? Can I, is there an audit trail in Excel? No. So how do I know is what was out is what's, what's been transferred? Yeah. So you've got all of those sort of things to look at. What you also find is that there's <coughs> conflicts of interest on computer systems. I'll give you a, an ex this is a small lab, five, six people. Uh, everyone's got analyst privileges. That's fine, except the head of the department who's the system admin. And they can turn things on, turn things off. It has to be transferred out to a typically IT. But it also goes further in the fact that you've got systems that are poorly designed, no database, standalone operation, paper printouts. So that all needs to be rethought. And to be fair to suppliers, if the market doesn't ask for it, they don't get it. Mm. So there's all of that. So what's the, the first step is to map the process. The second thing is, is to assess the systems that you buy before you buy it. Mm -hmm. And what you find is um, that you have a company that will focus on the instrument and very little on the software. Does the instrument do Is it a nice shiny thing? Does it, you know, it's the toy rather than the detail. So that last piece of advice is to carefully pick the supplier you use to automate your systems and improve your data's integrity. Bob places a lot of importance on software that keeps your processes up to date with the latest guidelines. The big question is, with the availability of tools that make data integrity and compliance an easy task, are companies falling into line? I think some are. The bigger, the bigger companies have major... Uh, data integrity committees, programs. So the, you know, the sort of uh, Novartis and AstraZeneca, you know, the biggest, mm. the GSKs, Pfizer's, etc., all have got on board and are doing things and have, in some cases, finished. Um, I think you've got medium-sized companies are now starting to work on have already started work it's the smaller companies that are basically too busy turning handles mm. to get things sorted so what companies both large and small eventually fall into line over data integrity regulators like the fda have some seriously large sticks with which to motivate companies into compliance a good example was set by the indian pharmaceutical ran baxi laboratories whose repeated breaches of data integrity in its US operations and false statements given to the FDA first caused it to receive warning letters from the regulator. When these were ignored, the FDA then proceeded to the next step, issuing a consent decree. 
This is a legal ruling that bars the manufacturer from production until integrity and compliance are improved. As Bob tells me, enforcement didn't stop there. Rambaxi had a particular, had a couple of US facilities, and so they ended up getting two consent decrees. Mm. The first consent decree, they agreed to put in 2012, they agreed to pay the US Treasury $500 million. No, no, that's the cheap end. <laughs> okay, so $500 million. Then they had to set up a global office, the chief data integrity officer with a staff. They had to have a toll-free number for any, any staff member to phone up anonymously and say, these are some of the issues about data integrity. They had to interview past and current members of Rambax's facilities to identify who did falsification. They had to go through all Rambax's current new drug applications. And if they found any falsified data, the application was withdrawn and they could not resubmit. What's clear is that the cost of non-compliance with data integrity regulations often dwarfs the cost of compliance with investing in systems that help with your data integrity. So for labs and companies alike, maintaining data integrity is not only good for your wallet, but for science as well. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, and I'd like to give a big thanks to Bob and Jeff for their insights. And we'll be back in two weeks' time with a new discussion podcast that rounds up the latest stories from across science. Until then, thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you soon.